Good morning. Good morning. Word of Truth Ministry family. God bless you. God bless you. God has seen fit to let us last and, and come into another uh, week. I am just happy and, and I just feel blessed to have the opportunity to come before you and speak. God has a great and dynamic word for us today. Um, I, I know more than anything else. I was in the restroom yesterday. I was doing a wedding. And while I was in there washing my hands, the Lord spoke to me very clearly to me and said, this is for you as just as it's for everybody else. So I thank God for his word and his message. But let's like always go what we always do. The confession of faith, what we talk about, what we believe here, the word of truth ministry. We believe an entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation. We do not compromise, not one part of the word of God. Revelation 22 and 19 is very clear. And it says, if anyone takes away from the words of this book, of the book of this prophecy, God should take away a part from the book of life and from the holy city and from the things that are written in the book. See, at the Word of Truth Ministry, we believe that the Bible helps build our faith, right? Which empowers us and, per and helps us do the purpose that God has put in us. Now, like my pastor used to say when I was growing up as a kid, if, uh, if you're listening to the service today, please, please, please get your Bible, whatever you use to actually look at the Word of God. Uh, get that out. Verify the things I'm saying is actually in the Word. Go back and study it for yourself to make sure that we all on one accord. And if you find something I'm in error, let me know so I can make sure we correct this thing and get it the way God has called us to talk about it. Okay. So our confession of faith, please hold up your Bibles or whatever you use to, uh, to actually look at the word of God. It says this is our Bible. We believe every word from Genesis to Revelations. We live by it. We confess it. We trust it. We're led by it and we stand on it in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank and praise you for all that you've done, all you continue to do, Lord. We know, Lord God, that there's none like you, Lord God, that you are gracious, you're merciful, Lord God, you're all loving. Lord, we ask you that you lead God and direct today that everybody under the sound of my voice, anybody that hears this message, Lord God, are blessed, Lord God, and come into the knowledge of your grace and your love. Lord, I thank you today for what you've done and what you continue to do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So the name of the message today is Grace for Grace. So if you're sitting beside somebody today or you're around the room, if you've got a watch party, put up there, grace for grace. Now, have you ever been or done something wrong uh, yet was not punished for the action and you didn't receive the full punishment or the recompense for the thing that you did? For example, uh, anyone ever speed and uh, you run a stoplight. If you didn't run a stoplight, let's say you, get, you got pulled over by the police because you, you ran a light, you were speeding or whatever it was. What, act, what happened? What was the action that came about? Did you, did you get a ticket or did you get a warning or was it more severe because of whatever you were doing? They took you to jail and they incarcerated you. I mean, these are all things that happen based on grace sometimes because there are times that you may be speeding or you may be run through a stoplight. You may have missed it. The officer pulls you over here, asks you a question. What just happened? You say you didn't know it. He may extend you some grace and say that you can go. Anyone ever do anything at the job that wasn't quite right or maybe it was grounds for being fired or terminated. So what happened in those situations? Many times what they'll do is they'll come out and they'll generate some type of progressive counseling. So a lot of times they'll come to you verbally and then they may give you some paperwork or they may do both, do a verbal and a, some paperwork and say, let that be it. Otherwise, they may say whatever action you did, you might have to reimburse or pay that thing back because it cost so much money and it was a destruction to the actual corporation that you work for. Many times what you'll see is you'll get suspended or, and or terminated. Suspensions for a certain amount of days without pay or you'll be terminated. These things are all part of the severity or part of the grace and no grace based on what happened. And in some cases, depending on what you may have done at your job, they may call the authorities and get the authorities involved because what you did was so egregious. The thing about it is a lot of us in our lives, if you look back, there are things that we have done that God has given his grace through other people. And this is the same grace for grace we need to give others. 
Now, anyone ever say something to someone you love? You, you, you know you shouldn't have said it. I mean, out of the heat of passion or you just got confused. I don't know what it was going on, but you said something you know was absolutely right. And once that thing is out there, you know you can't pull it back. Well, what happens? And that just happens immediately. Let's take a couple of months down the line. What happens a couple of months down the line when you say something or do something to someone that you love? What, what's their reaction? What do they do a couple of months down the line? A lot of them, you know what? It's water under the bridge. They don't even think about it. Right? It happened. They don't forget it, but they don't think about it. It's not something that they're lingering on. For others, though, they remember, understand, and didn't realize that you didn't mean it. Right? For others, they forgave you and they move on. And for others, they look for ways to either heal and if they can't heal, they look for ways to leave and or to not deal with you again. And the last one would be for those people that don't forgive you and the relationship is totally destroyed. See, every day we have opportunities to receive grace or give grace. Uh, I like to call it grace for grace. Now, we as Christians, we speak a lot about uh, we live under grace. Uh, we tell people that God gives us fresh grace each and every day. Uh, what exactly does that mean? I think as a Christian body, sometimes we say these things, but we have no true understanding what they actually mean. I believe as believers, if we can understand grace for grace, we will treat each other differently. Now, before we go any further, let's explain uh, where we came from and where we currently are. See, in the Bible, many theologians believe that there are ages and dispensations based on past, present and future prophecies, prophesized events. And uh, in that, there are three ages, right? Three ages and seven dispensations. The difference between an age and a dispensation is that an age stands for a period between two physical changes in the earth's surface, while a dispensation stands for a moral or probationary period in which the earth's history. Now, example of an age would be the Antediluvian age, which extended from the fall of man to the flood. See, we currently live in the ecclesiastical dispensation, which is called grace. Before this dispensation, we lived under the legal dispensation, which uh, God dealt with a chosen nation, just a nation, not individuals. This ceremonial law was given to Israel only and not to any other nations. The law was based on justice of God and knew no mercy. This is pre-grace. But in the dispensation of grace, we are under the Davidic covenant, the sign of which is a son, Jesus and neither Jew or Gentile are dealt with as such. God is not dealing with a nation today, but with individuals. The characteristics of this dispensation is the blindness in part is happening to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles becomes. God is calling out through the Holy Spirit to individuals from both Jews and Gentiles. The new body, the church, separate and distinct from both Jews and Gentiles. The new body is not under the law, but under grace. The basis of judgment under grace is our acceptance of Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. When Christ took his seat upon the Father's throne, he changed it from a throne of justice to a throne of grace. And God's attitude in this current dispensation is one of favor and long suffer toward wicked men and nations. See, we as the body of Christ, the church, must understand that grace we receive and the grace we should give, especially in today's society. In our country, there's a feeling of uneasiness. There's this feeling of, of heaviness and uh, frustration and dissension. I mean, there's so much pain going on, even when you talk about the COVID was going on. But there's so much going on in our country today. People are on edge, right? They don't have patience for anything or anybody. People are looking for peace and justice and equality. But in doing it, sometimes they tend to forget that you can still be mad and they still extend grace. Right now, almost everyone or every, every time somebody does something around you, it's a problem. 
I'm driving on the road. Listen, I realize there are times I cut people off. And when I cut them off, people get very upset about it. But I also realized that people cut me off. I don't want to get so upset about, upset about that. So I extended them the grace. And I remember just four days ago, I did the same exact thing. We have to have grace for grace. See, we cannot look at the past. Any, we, we, we cannot look past anything. And we fail to show uh, godly love spoken about as in Matthew 22, 37 and 40. It talks about in the King James Version that Jesus said unto them. And I love this scripture because it talks about what God told us about what is the most important commandments. It says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. And in verse 38, it says, this is the first and the greatest of all the commandments that were made out of the 613. And the second is likened to it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Grace for grace. On these commandments hang all the laws and the prophets. Today, I want to gain, I want us to gain the understanding and appreciation for grace that God has bestowed upon each and every one of us. If we can grasp how God treated us, treats us as a believer, we should be able to emulate the creator. The Bible calls us, it says that we are called Christians. The word Christian means to be Christ-like. We, we are predestined to walk like Christ, to come into the glory of Christ, to become the body of Christ. Once you are saved, you are predestined to become like Christ. So when we start talking about grace, let's define it. And I had probably about uh, 15 different dictionaries with uh, definitions, but I picked three. Uh, and these are biblical dictionaries. It says grace is a dimension of divine activity that enables God to confront human indifferences and rebellion with an unlimited cap cap uh, capacity to forgive and to bless. God is gracious in his actions. Number two, undeserved acceptance and love received from another. Although the biblical word for grace are used in a, var a variety of ways, the most characteristic use is to refer to an undeserved favor granted by a superior to an inferior. When used of divine grace towards humankind or mankind, it refers to the undeserved favor of God and providing salvation for those deserving condemnation. Three, traditionally understood by Christians as the unmerited favor of God, extending toward his creation and particularly towards humans. Christians think of God's grace as predominantly extended to humans in Jesus' incarnation, his death and his resurrection, by which God atoned for sins and makes possible eternal life with himself. See, in the Old Testament, uh, many individuals' primary hope was to find favor with God, i.e. grace, which is, a more which is a more powerful person. Here are some examples. If you were looking at Genesis 33, verses 8 and 10, you'll see that Jacob found favor with Esau. If you went to Genesis 39 and 4, you saw Joseph found favor with Potiphar. Genesis 47 and 25, the people of Egypt found favor with Joseph, who saved their lives during the, the famine. And if you look at Ruth 2 and 10, Ruth found favor with Boaz, as Naomi, Naomi had parried, right? And she became the great-grandmother of King David. You look at 1 Samuel 23, David found favor with Jonathan, the son of Saul, who sought to kill David. In addition to the Old Testament aspects of grace, the New Testament focuses on a couple of things. Grace in relationship to salvation. Spiritual gifts being referred to as grace. So if you go to Ephesians 2, 8, I think we'll do 2, 8, 9. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. We're going to start off with verse uh, 8 first. King James Version says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is a gift of God. See, Paul made the statement, it is by grace you have been saved. Now, in verse 8, he picks up 
that the ideal and elaborates on it. Grace carries with it the ideal of compassion being bestowed on someone without that person having merited it by their actions. God was not required to offer us salvation at all. Jesus was not required to hang on that cross, but they declared in decree that they were going to do this in order to get us where we needed to be. So much so that if you look at Genesis 3, verse 15, you will see the grace of God when they talked about that Jesus would come back and heal and head. One would bruise his heel, one would bruise his head. It talks about Jesus coming back one day to redeem us back to the Father. That was God's grace in action. Because at that time when they sinned in the garden, he had every right as being God to destroy them and start this thing over. It says, in spite of the fact that our actions bring deserved judgment upon ourselves, God offers us an escape. He didn't have to, but because he loves us, he wanted to. That is grace. And that is what saved us or delivered us from the eternal judgment. God escaped belonged to him and to his initiatives alone. No part of it can be credited to us. We did nothing. You cannot live a certain way, do a certain way, thing, or whatever it is, in order to say that you deserve the grace that God has given us. The whole of salvation, the grace as well as the faith, is a gift of God. Now, he handed salvation to you and to me. Uh, he did not, he, you do, we did nothing uh, to stick out our hand. All we did was stick out our hand to accept the gift that God gave us of salvation. Or if you haven't, please, today would be a great day to stick out your hand and accept this invitation of salvation through grace. Faith is exactly that. It is a trustful acceptance from God while he has proven or provided without. So what happens is trust is accepting from God what he has provided without totally understanding what you're receiving. Because a lot of times when we receive this grace and this salvation, a lot of us don't understand the promises that are in the Bible. We just know that we trust God and we have given our lives to Christ. But in that, you will realize as you study the God, as you study the words and you see the things of the prophet and the Bible is prophesied that in the end days, you will be rewarded for accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And in that reward means you will be in constant communication and constant relationship with the father or the alternative. If you don't accept them and you decide that you want to do your own thing and that this life you believe is just on the last while you're alive and that when you die, you're dead. Well, in essence, you're right. When you will die without Jesus, you are dead and you will be dead to the point of you will be dead and separated from God from eternity. God, faith is given to us on being able to provide what we need for ourselves and letting God give what he alone can provide. Now, Ephesians uh, 2 and 9 goes on to say, not of works, lest any man would boast. Because if we did it, if we could do this on our own, my goodness, imagine our conversation about what we did. Paul stresses this point almost redundantly. You have done absolutely nothing to earn salvation by being a, being a doing good. I mean, your morals, great. I'm glad you're a moral person. But morality does not generate salvation, except in Jesus Christ does. God's plan of salvation by grace places all humans on the same footing. We're all on the same level by grace. No one can boast or point with pride or personal accomplishments in the realm of salvation. Only Jesus holds that right. No person has done anything in this arena. God has done it all. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 18, 21 to 35. Here's a story I want to talk about. It's a pretty good story when it talks about grace for grace. Matthew 18, 21 to 35. 
And it's coming from the NLT uh, Bible, Matthew 18, 21 through 25, 35. The parable under forgiven debt says, Well, then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, but Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decides to bring his account up to date with servants who have borrowed money from him. In the process, one of the debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay. So his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children and everything he owed to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please, he patient with patience, be patient with me and I will pay it, pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and released him and forgave him of the debt, the entire debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. Boy, how fast we forget. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me. I will pay it. He pleaded. Don't this sound familiar? But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put him in prison for the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt before you pleaded with me. Should you have mercy on your fellow servants just that I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Now, let's talk about the talent thing in the beginning. Ten thousand talents back in those days uh, would have been an enormous debt uh, on the borderline of what the ancient mindset could have conceived back in those days. Estimate in modern current range would be from several million to about a trillion dollars. This is how much this individual owed. The talent was the highest known denomination of the currency in the ancient Roman Empire. Right. And ten thousand was the highest number for which the Greek language had a particular word. So he owed so much he could not pay it back. We owe so much. We couldn't pay it back. In a nutshell, his teaching is this. God's eternally and unconditional forgiveness forgives those who repent of so immense a debt against him that it's unconceivable for believers to refuse to grant forgiveness to each other for sins that remain trivial in comparison. God forgave our debt. There's nothing we can do except go to God and ask him for forgiveness. You can't act a certain way. You can't give a certain amount of money. You can't just go to church all the time. All that means nothing if you have not given Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, your heart and committed your life to him. Now, it goes on to say, furious that his lavish uh, mercy was not spurred on or spurred, the king vents his anger or his rage. He orders the servant to be imprisoned and tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Since the man has no way of earning this kind of money in jail, the king order guarantees a life sentence. We do not have the ability to account for the cost that Jesus paid. If you don't come to Jesus and understand that he has his grace and his hands extended to you for salvation, you will not be able to pay this cost. And the consequence of not paying the cost will be total separation from God. 
Now, the following three themes emerged from the main character and episodes of this parable. First, God's bountiless grace. Because the king, again, gave this man that could have owed him up to a trillion dollars. He gave him unlimited grace. You and I have lived a life that we know is imperfect. Even when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Bible tells us in Romans 3 and 23 that we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, right? It lets us know that even though we're saved, we still would do things wrong. We're not habitual sinners, but we still do things to violate what God has put in us not to violate. Therefore, even being saved, to be honest with you, without God, without him, we would not deserve to be in the presence of the most high God. Without God, there's nothing we can do in the moral and the saved life that we live in that would justify us getting to heaven. The only thing we have is the blood of Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Because Jesus decided to come back for each and every one of us, he paid the price. We couldn't afford the price. We didn't have enough money. We didn't have enough life. We didn't have enough time. But through Jesus, we have everything that we need. Number two, the absurdity of rejecting that grace. And many people, I've heard young people say, look, you're older, right? You're 50 years old. I'm 22. I'm going to live my life. And then I'll come to a time in my life when then I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Well, I pray to God today that you have that time because time is fleeting. And you, you may be one car accident away. You could be from this away. This is COVID going on. There's a lot of things going on in the world today. And there are people, young people, thinking they're invincible, that they got all this time. And I'm going to let you know your time is limited to what God has given you, not what you perceive your time to be. If you have the opportunity today to accept Jesus Christ and the grace that he has given, I advise you to accept it today and walk in it. But that way you can fulfill what Jesus said, that when he leaves, greater works will you also do, which means Jesus operated for three years. And if you get saved at 19 and you live to 90, how much more could you have done because you lived more than three years saved and under the knowledge of God? Number three, the frightful fate awaiting the unforgiven. Listen. Uh, they sometimes like to call me the hell preacher and I'm not preaching hell because I think I think grace is more important. But there is another side of this. And sometimes we fail to talk about the other side. I love to talk about the picture and I imagine how we're going to be in New Jerusalem and it talks about how the walls are so designed that it's kind of a translucent wall and that when God comes into the place, I mean, his glory illuminates and you will no longer need a sun or anything because God is present in there, right? And you are absolutely in the presence of the Most High God and you can touch him and talk to him and you can hug him and you, you could just be loved by God because you're in his presence. God has given you a glorified body and you're now part of the whole entire church or the body of Christ that Jesus presents to the Father. That's the good part. That's for those people that said, you know what, Lord, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. And I, I live under this grace and I know that I'm not perfect, but I'm going to live and walk my life according to your word. And Lord, forgive me when I get out of bound and I do something that does not represent you. That's the saved person. But you have a lot of others that will choose not to believe or to choose to do their own thing or to think this because I live morally right that I will make it in the door. I'm here to tell you today that without accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you will not receive the grace at the end of your life. 
at the end of your life without receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, what will happen is you will have just the opposite. You will be cast in a place called hell at the judgment. And at the judgment in hell, hell is not even a final resting place. Just like earth is not we have New Jerusalem. Hell will be thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone. And the consequence of that is not even the suffering or the pain that one may experience based on the life they have lived. That is not the worst part of it. The worst part of it is, guess what? You will never, ever Ever, God will cut himself off from you and you will be alone for eternity without the presence of the most high God. I'm telling you now, accept the grace that God is offering. So Jesus sees no inconsistency in the action of the heavenly father who forgives so bountifully and punishes so ruthlessly. And neither should we. Indeed, it is precisely because he is a God of such compassion and mercy that he cannot possibly accept as his those devoid of compassion and mercy. If you cannot, listen, we call ourselves Christian Christ-like. Everything that God does, we should emulate. If God provides us grace, we have to provide grace to those around us. Even when one allegorizes the prison or the torture and repayment, one winds up with a picture of hell, not purgatory. Since this man could almost certainly never repay his debt or escape. Jesus may be teaching that no true disciple, listen to this, Jesus may be teaching that no true disciple could ever act as his servant did. Those who do show that they have not really received forgiveness. Frankly, many in the Christian circle today seem in danger of this judgment because they refuse to forgive fellow believers or anybody. They refuse to speak kindly to them, cooperate with them, accept their apology or render them grace. Jesus declared that if people die without having resolved such problems, they may exclude themselves from eternal life with him and the father. Turn to Luke 18, 9 through 14, because many of us, we realize that we hold these alts against our brothers and sisters. And it's so easy to hold the alt. You have church hurt, family hurt. It's, whole, it's easy to hold this, but you have to learn how to forgive them. I'm not saying that you have to forget. I'm not saying that somebody does something wrong to you. You got to become their best friend again. I'm saying you need to forgive them under the same grace God has forgiven you. You may never deal with them the same way again as far as we don't hang out, we don't talk and all that. But I have forgiven you and I will grace you because I know the thing that you did to me, I probably did along to somebody else in the past. So I'm going to give grace for grace. Luke 18, 9 through 14. It says to some who were confident of their own righteousness. And looked down on everyone else. Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed. God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers. Or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. But on the other hand, the tax collector stood at a distance and he would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God for all those who exact themselves will be humbled, exalt themselves shall be humbled and all those who humble themselves shall be exalted. So understand this story. So what they're talking about is there are two men that walk into a temple and it talks about the Pharisee. He walks up, they believe, to the front of the temple, his position. 
And they don't believe the Pharisee was praying out loud. And they don't really think he was praying. They think he was making statements to himself. You know, look how good I am. I am this way. I am this way. I am this. I give. I fast. I'm all these different things. I, this is who I am. Right. They got him like like them other people. But the same token, another man, a tax collector walks in. Right. And he stands. They say they believe closer to the door in the rear of the temple. And this man refused to even look up to God. He looked down in humility and he beat his chest and he confessed to the Lord, Lord, I, I'm a sinner I'm in need of your forgiveness. And then Jesus said, if you look at the two of them, the one that left justified was the one that was so humble before God, the one that actually verbally said what he said, confessing and believing and said, Lord, forgive me as a sinner. That man left justified. The other man, on the other hand, will be humbled in his life. I'm telling you today, saints of God, body of Christ, we cannot take an attitude. And when we look at other people, I'm so glad I'm not like them. I'm so glad I don't do those sins. I'm so glad that this sin ain't counted. Because in our society there, especially in the Christian community or what they call the evangelical community, there are two major sins out there that if you do those, everything, everything is, those are just the it. But I'm here to tell you today that the Bible mentions multiple ones. And it ain't just two, it's all. And don't sit from a high heel or a high position or a throne judging others based on what you see and perceive about yourself. We as Christians must maintain a humble attitude all the time, not just when we're uh, you know, by ourselves, but when we with others, because through that humility and the grace that we're able to give, those around us are able to grow and be blossoming to the things God has called them to. This story is a great story. Justified. This term means more than just being forgiven, for it also involves the gift of not of new standing before God. When we're justified, we stand in a different position. We become new creatures in Christ and old things are passed away and behold, all things become new. This is evident from 18 and 9, where the now is used to describe a righteous standing before God. The publican stood before God after his prayer, processing a new relationship, now moral character with God. He possesses a righteousness given to him by grace. We all, especially believers, if you are a believer, you came to Christ humble like the publican. I need us to not to forget the humility. I need us not to forget that day that we sat down on our knees and we cried out to God and said, God, forgive me. I'm a sinner. God, forgive me. And Jesus, God, sitting on the throne, forgave you of your sins because he already paid your debt. He died on the cross for us. He rose again for us. He sits on the throne for us. He represents us and he's preparing us to be presented to his father. Never forget that feeling. Never forget that day. Never forget that new relationship with God, because if you don't forget it, when someone does something to you, you can bestow upon them the same grace that God bestowed upon you. There are so many things going on in our society today. When you talk about police shootings, listen, every police officer is not bad. Most police officers, probably to the point of 99.9% .9 of them are honorable men and women out there serving. When you see a cop or you see a police officer, 
thank them for the things that they do because they keep you safe in the community. We do see these shootings that go on and they're very small, but they're great because it shows the indisparity in racism and indisparity in justice. But at the end of the day, when you see an officer, thank them for the things that they do and appreciate that they keep us safe in our society. Military members, they're not all bad. Anybody that's out there working in the health industry and these other people, they're not all bad. Everybody has their own bad apples. We cannot go around looking at all police officers and declaring that they're all the garbage. I'm telling you now, without them, God has allowed us to have them. We wouldn't have the safety and security in our homes today. We have to learn how to get the right perspective on what's going on and to provide grace when grace needs to be done. Even in some of the shootings and some of these events that happen, you can see for one or two that the officer may have been wrong, but you don't know what he was thinking. And we still have to give him grace because God, he still belongs to God. We can't condemn him to hell. There may be some punishment that may be associated with it, but at the end of the day, we cannot hold that against him. We have to say, Lord, you save him. You change him. You establish a new relationship with him just like you did with us. Because in reality, God talks about when you're on the, on the Sermon on the Mount, many of us kill people with our words. I mean, he may, they may physically shoot somebody, but you do the same exact thing, and God views it the same exact way. We must have grace for grace. We can no longer walk around with this attitude that we're so self-righteous and that we got everything together because we don't. I am so imperfect that that's why I seek God. I realize on a daily basis how I am not exactly where I want to be and I know I'm where I'm supposed to be. That's why I'm studying and I'm praying and I'm seeking God to get me where I got to get be. We all should have this attitude that we have to have grace for grace. All those childhood hurts, all those things people have done to you, bad relationships, bad churches, bad this, bad that. Every church is not bad. Every church is not just seeking money. Money is necessary for a church to operate, but every pastor is not lining his pocket. Many of pastors, I will tell you, 99.9999% of those people out there are teaching and preaching and bringing forth the divine word of God because this is what God has given them. I'm not saying that we don't have some bad apples, but just believe me, brother, and believe me, sister, God will reveal who they are. The time of playing church and the time of walking around and non-forgiveness, the time of walking around not doing what we say we're supposed to do is going to come to an end because judgment day, whether or not you know it, is soon approaching. Whether or not it's Jesus Christ blessing through the clouds or whether or not you drop dead, judgment day is coming. And when it comes for me, I thank God because my hope is that I will live in the grace that God has given me. The day I ask you the question, when it comes down grace for grace, when you close your eyes for that last time, will you live in the hope of the grace and the salvation that Jesus has bestowed upon you? If you have, it's all well. But if you haven't, today is the day to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank and praise you today, Lord God. And I ask you that you heal hearts and minds from all the different pains and distresses and all the different things that people are experiencing in today's society. COVID is, is running rapid and we have not got a hand of it, Lord God. We haven't held it, handled it right. But we know, Lord God, everything works for your good. And we're trusting you right now, Lord God, that 
those people that have COVID or those people that may have COVID in the future, that you will protect them and guide them. And those people that have it and hadn't had it, Lord God, that you give them or send them, Lord God, like you always do as you reach your arms out to them, Lord God. Let them know that you're there with grace, Lord God, and salvation for each and every last one of them. Lord, those people that have church hurt or people that have family hurt, Lord God, or business hurt or any type of hurt, Lord God, I ask you that you heal them where they are. Bless them, Lord God, to have a spirit of forgiveness and an attitude of forgiveness, Lord God, as they walk through this life. That they can get past each and every day becomes a little bit easier, Lord God, as they give grace and forgiveness to those that have done things against them. Lord, anybody that's sick in their body, anybody that's ill, Lord God, anybody that's having any problems, Lord God, I thank and I praise you for your total and complete healing. You said by your stripes that we are healed, Lord God. You said we can speak life and death in the power of the tongue. Lord, no, I speak life over them in Jesus name and I thank you Lord God for the things that you're doing and the things that you're going to do Lord God because there is none like you thank you for your grace in Jesus name amen listen now if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior that's this whole mess is about grace for grace if you save give grace if you don't know about grace what a perfect day to come into the grace of God salvation and understand that Jesus loves you I mean he loves you. I, I get excited when I think about how much God has loved me. How many things I've gone through in my life that I could have died from or I could have been destroyed in one way and the other, but God has always given me his unmerited favor. Favor I did not deserve. Favor that I, not that I did anything to deserve it, but God's love and grace graced me to accomplish the things I've accomplished. So today, if you don't know Jesus, it's a perfect day and opportunity. John 14 and 6 says, that Jesus, said unto, uh, Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through the Son. Romans 10, 9 and 10 gives our formula for salvation. It's that Roman road that we walk in. It says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thy heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. This is an easy thing. It's not like you got to go work for it because you couldn't do enough work to get it done. You don't have enough time and you don't have enough money and you don't have enough energy. But all you have to do is open your heart, speak through your mouth and confess that Jesus is God's son. He came to this earth. He died and he rose again that you might be saved. So for everybody out there that don't know Jesus, that like to know him today, close your eyes today and repeat after me. Father God, I'm a sinner in need of your forgiveness. Lord, I ask you to forgive me for all the things I have done. I believe that Jesus is God's son. I believe he came to earth. I believe he lived and died and rose again for me. And through Jesus, I'm saved. Lord, I commit myself to you this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Listen, offering. If you would like to offer, uh, give an offering, a donation, or tithes, please visit us at www.wotm.net. Thank you for all those that have been given. It is a blessing as we prepare to come out of this COVID into this new era, and that's what we're doing now. We're prepping and getting everything together. So as we transition, we'll have everything will be in place, and it'll be a beautiful edifice that we could just sit up and give God the glory and give God the praise. We just want to thank you and just say, listen, God is doing a mighty work, and we just thank God for what he's done so far. So Thank you.